शिला गुरुदेव की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री श्री नाम संकीर्तन की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय So, good evening to all of you, Pranam. Thanks so much for your presence. More than welcome. My pleasure to share with you all today in London after some interesting days in, in Brighton and some other places in Europe this last week. So. <clears throat> We today and tomorrow will be sharing some thoughts concerning two particular topics. Today being the topic of how Krishna's identity is shaped, or more poetically speaking, carved, if you will, by bhakti, by devotion, by love. So, <clears throat> for this, I would like to first of all to refer to a very special verse from Grantara Srimad Bhagavatam, which I will try to use as a main point of reference in today's exposition, which is one verse that comes in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the ninth chapter, eleventh verse, where Brahma, the very first manifest being of the universe, the very original guru of our Sampradaya, He's praying to Bhagavan. So he's saying, Tam bhakti yoga paribhavita haritsarojam asse sritekshitapato nanunata pumsham yad yad yata urugai vibhavayanti tattapapu pranayase sadanugrahaya. This is a very beautiful prayer which he's basically saying to Bhagavan, Sri Krishna. Oh, to all oh, you, Urugaya. Urugaya means like multi-glorious one. Not only glorious one, but multi-glorious one. Those people, according to how your devotees absorbed in you and meditate on you, according to what the scriptures reveal about you, according to the particular form they meditate on you, you appear in the lotus of their hearts and reveal yourself accordingly, taking a particular form corresponding with that meditation. So this verse will be kind of the reference point for today's topic about how Krishna's form, again, is shaped by bhakti. This Bhagavatam verse established this notion. According to how we love Krishna, how, according to how meditate, approach the divine, he will reciprocate accordingly, and reciprocate accordingly has to do, and among other things, he will present himself in a particular form, spiritual form, which will be shaped, or better said, carved, if you will, by bhakti, by love. But before going to... <clears throat> to Bhagavan himself, to the Supreme Personality, we can go to ourselves and get a glimpse of how this principle uh, operates in our own lives, how this is applicable even to us, even to us in our particular condition, which may not be a fully enlightened one. So in our particular condition, 
we will take different forms, somehow or other, according to the particular love that is surrounding us. For example, if at this particular moment I'm giving a lecture to you all and my, I don't know, my grandmother appears, automatically I will take the form of a grandson <laughs> to her. Because her love corresponds, every love corresponds with a particular form. So the power of her love will shape me, Swami Padmanava, not into Swami Padmanava. I'm not Swami Padmanava for my grandmother. <laughs> you follow? I'm her grandson. So I will become that to her. And of course, if I'm in front of my mother, that Batsalia will make me adopt another form. Me and any of you, for sure. And whether the similar cases. In my case, I don't have brothers, sisters, wife, or children, so I'm missing many races in that sense. <laughs> But I imagine any, many of you have that those experiences in this lifetime, so you can relate to, to those extended examples as well. If, you're, if your kids enter the room, you adopt the form of a father, if you will, of a mother, and so on. So my point is, even in our relative experience in this world, we can have a glimpse of how this principle operates, and how love shapes hmm the world, and how love, how love shapes us, basically. How we become something according to the particular type of emotions that are coming to us. And that's a very interesting principle, because, especially if we speak about love, because love is the most powerful force in the universe, which means... If, if something is the most powerful thing in the universe, it means it has the most, the greatest potential for transforming everything. So if you enter in touch with love, it means that love can transform you, can modify you, can make you something different from what you are. Not something less, please, no? but always something more. can upgrade our condition. But the point is, sometimes we are not so willing to become something different from what we are. And sometimes that's why we are so much afraid of love. <laughs> because again, love implies I will be transformed by the particular type of love that is impacting me. I will become something different from what I am. So we're speaking these days. And that implies that may imply I have to enter into a unknown area because love is inviting me to something else to something that till today I don't know I will become something that today I don't know what will be I will become more again I will become something special but sometimes we are afraid of of the unknown as we were speaking the other day we are we may be afraid of, 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 of in two directions of the unknown we may be afraid of of our shadow, to speak in Jungian terms, of our darkest uh, corners inside, subconscious hmm, corners, if you will. (laughs) But also we may be afraid of our brightest potential. Why? Because the brightest potential is also unknown to us. So only because something is unknown, that may create some fear in us, interestingly. Hmm. So love... Love represents our brightest potential, but also love represents an invitation 
into some unknown land and inviting us to transform ourselves into something we may not be very much aware of. And for some, that may be frightening. So that's why sometimes, paradoxically, even though we we are so much thirsty for love, and, and we cannot but run after that consciously or subconsciously, whenever love knocks on our door, sometimes we may escape from that. Because the implications of love, again, is if I allow myself to be loved by someone, that someone will transform me. I will stop being what I think I am and will become something else. Sometimes we are not willing to be transformed, basically. (laughs) But that's the price for love. If I get into a relationship with a person, that person, the affection of that person, will make me a different person. And vice versa, for sure. The two of us will alter alter one another's constitution, if you will. <laughs> so there has to be a willingness for that to happen. That's part of the, of the price of love. How much we are willing to be transformed by what the other person has to bring to us. So, of course, the interesting point here is that for us, in our <coughs> spiritual tradition of bhakti, Gaudiya Vedanta, we present the very interesting idea that God himself, he is willing to be transformed by the type of love that we bring to him, that we want to offer to him. He's willing to be transformed according to the type of love we are bringing to him. And of of course, therefore, the implication is how much willing we should be uh, to be... (laughs) transformed and affected by the type of love that God is trying to to share with us. So specifically, today's idea is connected to Krishna's form and how Krishna's form is shaped by love. Strictly speaking for us, God has a form, which of course may sound for some, to some people may sound uh, limiting. How can God have a form? Because generally, form implies limitation. Form implies some limited particular design, if you will, outside of which there's something else. So the form is limited to that particular three-dimensional aspect. That's our experience in this world. Form is limiting. But also, even in this world, we can understand how form, in some cases, can be not only limiting, but above that can be facilitating. Like, for example, you were doing kirtan some minutes ago, so you were expressing your hearts no? in kirtan. So some some particular, let's call abstract emotions or, or whatever needed to be expressed inside, it took some concrete form, but for that you needed... A dayan, the bayan, tabla. <laughs> By the way, I studied tabla some years back. <laughs> no? We need harmonium, mridangan, kartal. So it's a form. You say all these are forms. But all forms were not getting in the way of you expressing what you had inside, but were helping for that to come out. So in that case, form is facilitating the, ex- the expression and the experience, not limiting it. So even on this plane, we have an, ex- an experience of form facilitating, 
for form allowing expansion, not contraction. So the same idea and much more, you can imagine, <laughs> applies to God having a form which is not limited nor limiting, but is eternal, spiritual, and facilitating. It's a form that facilitates the love and interaction. Actually, it's a form of love. That's a very interesting concept, a form of love. Because we're going to speak about love, we're going to speak about beauty, but again, we need form for make that happen. I can speak about beauty, but if if I do not show you some beautiful, whatever, work of art, landscape, whatever, beauty remains an abstraction, you know, like a, a concept. But for for making that alive, if you will, form is required. So when we speak about love, again, what's love? Love is not like a generic uh, abstraction, but it's something very specific. And there are so many nuanced nuances of love. There's varieties of love, as we were speaking today. Grandparents' love, mother's love, son's love, lover's love, friend's love, brother's love, servant's love. So many shades, if you will, of love. So each one of these tastes and flavors of love require form. Take, adopt a form. So love has a form. Sometimes in our tradition we call Krishna, which is one of the names for God that we choose to, to invoke when calling him as they were doing in, in Kirtan very nicely some minutes ago. So Krishna for us is the form of love, if you will. When the highest form of love takes a shape, that's what we call Krishna. But again, his form... We could say it's made of love and his form is shaped by love no? because he has a particular form because there is a particular devotee who loves him in a particular way which takes him to adopt that particular form. As example I gave in the beginning myself with my grandmother, let's say. No? There is a particular type of love that impacts on me and creates some particular in our scriptures, there are many examples like this. For example, something that comes to my mind is when one there are many <laughs> where to begin. Well, Krishna was in Kurukshetra, not for Bhagavad Gita, but before Bhagavad Gita, there was one crucial meeting in Kurukshetra between Krishna and the inhabitants of Vrindavan for solar eclipse. Maybe you have heard about that. Very, very important, deep emotional moment. So basically, here Krishna was already, had already gone out of Vrindavan. He went to Mathura and then he went to Dwarka. He was a prince there, if you will, or a king. I mean, he was established in, in these royal standards, riding on an elephant with servants, no peacock feather, no flute, hmm? no Vrindavan, basically. But all the inhabitants of Vrindavan went there with the excuse of the solar eclipse, but with the real purpose of meeting Krishna after decades and decades of separation. Mm. So it is said that all the Dwarka inhabitants assembled there in, the, in Kurukshetra, this sacred spot, and they made like a whole city for the event, for the occasion only. 
So there were some gatekeepers because it was a big event and Krishna was a big person, remember Krishna. Krishna Vrindavan is not a big person. Krishna Vrindavan is one, Braj- one more Brajavasi that everyone loves more than anyone else, but more than their own lives millions of times, but he's not seen as a, as a big guy, if you will. But in Dwarka he was the prince of Dwarka or something like that. So there were gatekeepers and bodyguards and all this security and Aishwarya, all this stuff. So at one point, everything is being organized for the events and the rituals, and all the inhabitants of Brindavan are coming, riding their bullock bullock carts, bringing their offerings of ghee and butter. That's their wealth as as cowherd community, that those were their offerings. And they came like just walking and singing some like folk, spontaneous compositions that they were creating at every moment, always dedicated for Krishna, remembering his Leela on earth. So for, for the aristocratic people of Dwarka, for the, if you will, high-class society inhabitants of Dwarka, the Brajabasi seemed like a, like a bunch of uncivilized fellows. No? Like, <laughs> who are they? No? they? They don't have like this manners, manners, mannerisms no, of, of the of the great big city and so on. So hmm, why they are behaving in this way? No? So, and the most the special thing is that when they are arriving to the gates of this big event, the gatekeepers were there and Yashoda Mai, Yashoda Mai approaches them hmm, and she's crying and, and, and milk is flowing from her breast just by knowing that Krishna is there no? She's exhibiting one of an, an extra sattvic above. Rupa Goswami said there are eight sattvic abhavs, generally described in Shastra, but there's a ninth one which is milk flowing from the breast that only pertains to Batsali above. So it is said that she approached the gatekeepers and she said, I'm Krishna's mother. No? Not in a very ecstatic way. I'm Krishna's mother. Where is, where is my Lala? Where is Krishna? So, <laughs> of course, for everyone in Dwarka, their awareness is Krishna's mother is Devaki. And Krishna's father is Vasudeva. And, and, and then just other are Krishna's foster, foster parents. But just so that, or maybe they were not even aware of that background, huh? of Krishna in Vrindavan and having foster parents. They were just aware of Krishna in Dwarka. So just so they're saying, I'm Krishna's mother, where is Krishna? Huh? And the gatekeeper said, no, 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 what are you saying? I mean, Krishna's mother is Devaki, Krishna's father is Vasudev, and so on. Say, no, no, I'm Krishna's mother. So call, call him, bring him back again immediately. So he's crying ecstatically. So these gatekeepers go to Krishna and say to him, Sri Krishna, with your permission, no, that's the relationship they have with him in Dwarka. But there is one lady; she seems a little bit dysfunctional, <laughs> and, and on top of that, she says that she's your mother. Mm-hmm. Well, all of us here in Dwarka know that mm, your mother is Devaki. 
So when Krishna hears that, immediately he knows who came, who is that person. That person is his mother. <laughs> so Krishna immediately said, now he enters like in a trance, immediately, and he says, let her in, let her come in immediately, make her come in. So Yashoda enters and all the Brajabhas enter to the, to the event in a very, again, ecstatic way. And it is said that when Yashoda meets Krishna, at this point Krishna had more than 100 years. Of course, always he seemed like a young teenage boy of 16 years. But nonetheless, he was more than a century. So it is said that Yashoda sees him. So you can imagine, I, mean, I don't know, just sort of have considerable age as well as you can imagine, <laughs> if Krishna was more than 100 years. But it is said that immediately when Jasuda met Krishna, Krishna jumped onto her lap. And she started to give, to, how do you say, to breast, breastfeed him. So milk was pouring from her breast. She was more, I mean, if Krishna was more than 100 years, how old was Jasoda then? And Krishna was on her lap. He was not. He was not a boy of some months. But the point is, due to the f- strength, the force of her, but prem of her maternal love, Krishna adopted that form somehow. It's not that he became smaller or like a baby, but somehow he was in the lap. He was drinking uh, breast milk. So he entered into that particular sense of identity because of that particular influence which of course that influence is bhakti is love krishna is not influenced by maya shakti as we may be as tatasta jivas we are we are a product of our environment but our environment may be maya shakti or hopefully swarup shakti or bhakti shakti in the case of krishna of course his only environment is Prem. And he's influenced by that. <laughs> he's influenced in the, in the, in the positive sense. No? Upgrading, making him becoming a, a higher and higher version of himself at every single moment, basically. That's the dynamics in Krishna's life. No? To say that at every moment Krishna becomes more and more beautiful. So how is that Krishna becomes more and more beautiful? Because at every moment, the love of his devotees becomes more and more beautiful, becomes deeper and deeper, greater and greater. So, it's to say that Krishna's form reciprocates with the devotee's love. So, Krishna Das Kavrash Goswami very beautifully describes this in his Chaitanya Charitamrita. He says, Krishna's beauty increases at every moment because of the love of the devotees that increase at every moment. Because the devotees increase in their love for him, he becomes more beautiful. I mean, his beauty corresponds with their love. The more you are loved, the more beautiful you become. That's the idea. Real beauty has to be, has to do with love, basically. So, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami said, the devotees increase their love more and more, and correspondingly, in order to reciprocate, Krishna increases his beauty more and more, as a consequence of, of that love. And the two of them enter into a competition, when none of them accept defeat. No. None of both parts accept defeat. In, in other words, 
the two of them keep increasing one another, one another, one another, ad infinitum, without stop. So that's the the dynamic, the currents in what we call the spiritual world. The particular love is shaping the identity of Bhagavan. So he's a product. I sometimes I like to say that. Hopefully you understand the poetry of this statement. But Krishna... Krishna is a byproduct of the love of his devotees. If you take the love of the devotees out of, you have, you no longer have Krishna as, as he is, basically. You have Brahman, undeterminate, absolute. That's how the scriptures describe. You have the aspect of the absolute which has no form. That's called Brahman. That's one of the three phases of the Absolute. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavanite, Shabdhyate, Saisibhagavata. So there is an all-pervading, impersonal form of God. That form, why has no form? Why has no attributes, beauty, and lila? Because there is no love activating the form. No love giving shape to, to the Absolute in one way or another. So the more the love enters into the equation the more the Absolute takes a particular form, like Krishna, Ram, Narayan, and so many, many other forms of the Absolute, even in other traditions. So, so this, this, this notion, this idea, of course, gives place for this uh, plurality of spiritual expressions where we can appreciate different religious manifestations, even in other traditions. In fact, you know, Thakur will say that, and he was a very... He was a Saragrahi Vaishnava. He himself coined that term that applied, first of all, to him, <laughs> which means an essence seeker. He was a perennialist, I would say. And whenever he will go to a mosque or to a church or to another temple from any tradition, he will feel how interesting the way they are worshipping my Krishna here. My Krishna is appearing in this form, to them in this form to them because there is a particular type of approach these people is having towards God that makes him appear in that particular way. So there's with this notion in mind there is no place for sectarianism or fundamentalism because we will conclude I mean there's so many varieties of love, therefore there are so many varieties of God, of forms of God. The Bhagavatam says how many forms of God there are? Asankhya, which means uncountable, unlimited. Which means there are unlimited corresponding varieties of love for God. Another famous story that comes to mind in this regard is <clears throat> Jayadeva Goswami narrates this in his Gita Govinda. In one moment Krishna is with the gopis in Vrindavan. They are having Rasa Lila. And at one moment Krishna disappears, and as it uses to happen, that's part of his style, <laughs> in order to churn the hearts and increase the, the joy of union and the intensity of the search and love. So Krishna disappears, and he wants to play a particular, if you will, game. So the gopis start to look for him desperately and run here and there and looking for him. So Krishna, what does he do? He like disguises himself as as God, <laughs> as Narayan. Because remember, in Vrindavan, 
Krishna is not God. Krishna is Krishna, basically. Narayan is God. In Vrindavan, everyone worships God for the sake of Krishna, basically. In Vrindavan, everyone is praying to Narayan. Even they are praying to the devas, they are worshipping the demigods, but everything converges into Krishna. Whichever may be the worship they are preferring, all the things that we sometimes hear here, we should not worship the demigods, we should only worship Krishna. But when you go to Golok Vrindavan, everyone is worshipping the demigods. <laughs> but only for the sake of Krishna. <laughs> That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. So, in Vrindavan, everyone is worshipping everything and everyone, but ultimately everything converges into the figure of the most beloved, Sham Sunda. So once Krishna disappeared, as I mentioned, he adopted the form of Narayan. So he, manif- he, he meditated and manifested two extra arms. He appeared as Chaturbhuj, with the four arms and showing like the discus discus you say, the chakra the lotus and so on the, f- the different symbols of Narayan God try to imagine, you are walking and suddenly God appears in front of you that's a pretty, I imagine you will upload that to your Instagram or something no? <laughs> today I met God on the way <laughs> so, but in the case of the gopis, something interesting happened so they were desperately looking for Krishna, and suddenly they meet on their way, not Krishna, but Narayan. Hmm? Hey, remember, the psychology of the Brajabhasis is Narayan is God, and Krishna is Krishna, our beloved. Hmm? He's not God. Hmm? E- even, if the, even if the rumor, 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 or news comes that Krishna is God, or maybe Krishna is God, they will say, no. and, and even if they believe, entertain the possibility for a moment, they will say, okay, but even if he's God, first of all, he's our lover, our friend, our beloved, our son, depending the, the different relationship. That's what happened after the famous Govardhan Lila, where Krishna was, I mean, that was a very overt exhibition of Aishwarya, which had not taken place till that moment in Vrindavan. Before, till that moment, Krishna killed many demons and did many like godlike things, but it's not that all of Vrindavan witnessed that. Generally, all the things happened when Krishna was with his friends or sometimes by himself. When his friends will witness that and they will tell that to the rest of Vrindavan, to the adults in Vrindavan, no, Krishna did this and chastised these, and they'll say, yeah, 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 and all these boy tales that Krishna killed you, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But in Govardhan Lila, Krishna lived, as you know the story, he, he lifted <coughs> this huge, huge hill in front of everyone. He did that in front of everyone and the most astonishing way, because it's a big hill, as you already know, uh, it takes almost six hours to circumambulate if you walk quickly. And he did that for a week with thumb. No, what is this? The, the small finger? Pinky. Little finger. Little finger. <laughs> of the left hand, which is not the most capable hand, the left one with the small one of the less capable one for a week in front of everyone. So, I mean, that's pretty overt, obvious, you cannot just like, no, no, he didn't do that. Everyone saw that because all of Vrindavan was 
down Gober, below Govardhan, only looking at Krishna for a week. That was their uninterrupted, unblinking eyes darshan. So the point is, after that, some of the rumors that they heard before, Krishna did that, Krishna did that, this extraordinary feats, now they were witnessing that with their own eyes. Like, he lifted this heel for... Of course, again, the psychology of the Brajavasis will will remain extraordinary. You know? For example, as we know, when he was lifting the heel, <laughs> as you may see in some painting, some friends of Krishna were helping him with some sticks, thinking, oh, the heel may be too heavy for him now, so we need to help him. And just so that we'll come closer and start to fit him in the mouth, because you will get weaker if you don't eat, and the heel may be too much for you, so please eat, 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 eat. And some of his friends will tell, hey, Krishna, but why don't you give the heel to Sridham? Because Sridham always defeats you on daily on a daily basis on wrestling. So we know that Sridham is more powerful than you. So give the heel to Sridham so you rest a little bit your 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 arm and we can massage your arm for a while. So this is the psychology of the Brajavasis. No? Or, or or even sometimes the gopis after that <clears throat> they will tell Krishna if because sometimes Krishna after that will say, I lifted go over them. No, like like some transcendental pride. No, you are criticizing me, but I am the lifter of Govardhan. And they will say, you didn't lift anything. No, actually, the, the whole hill was floating in the air, pleased by the worship of Nanda Maharaj. And you just appear below the hill and put your finger just for the picture, <laughs> as it seemed that you were sustaining the picture. But the hill was floating there. You just appear for the picture, put your finger there, smile for a week. I want to take all the reputation for lifting Govardhan. Well, we know you, you can't lift Govardhan. <laughs> so, so that's the Braja psychology. But even in, in the case of some, some people who thought Krishna lifted Govardhan, so they went to, to, to Nanda Maras and told him, I mean, Krishna lifted Govardhan. Something, there's something extraordinary about him. Maybe he's God, actually. We heard that he may be God, so maybe, maybe he's God, maybe he's not, but maybe, who knows, it can be. So Nanda Maharaj looked at them like saying, mm, how can he be God, as we said the other day, I know, I know how God is. Mm. God is peaceful, serious, uh, he always you know, follows what he says, and Krishna lies, steals, is fearful of Jashoda's chastisement, full of desires, but he's not, he cannot be God. He's not God. And then he says, but even if he's God, and the Maharaj make this less important point, even if he's God, first he's my son, then he's God. But first, my son. Then he can be whatever he wants, even God. <laughs> so, since first is my son, I have to chastise him, I have to educate him, I have to correct him, I don't want to spoil him as, as an adult. So, so that's the psychology of the Brajavasis. Even if he's God, okay, he may be God, if you will, if you want to think of those terms, but that's not the priority. So try to imagine if you have a son, and you learn that he's God. <laughs> but still for you, it was, okay, how nice, my son is God. But first for you, is my son is God. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur gives that example in, in Raghavarma Chandrika. It's like if if one mother f- finds my son become, became the president of the, 
of the king of the UK, let's say. Here you have you don't have president, right? You have queen and king and so on. So my daughter, my daughter became the queen of the UK. So for the mother in her mother motherhood, she will when whenever she sees she sees her daughter, she won't feel now, oh the queen has come. But actually her her own motherhood will like overflow. Oh now my daughter is the queen. I mean, the, the idea of queen is secondary. The first thing is my daughter. It's the queen. How incredible is my daughter? I'm so proud of my daughter, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter, and so on. Queen is somewhere else behind. <laughs> so this is the unique psychology of the Brajabas. I'm giving a little bit, sorry if I extend myself, but some context to the story I'm narrating. So going back to the story, <laughs> Krishna appeared as Narayan. Krishna appeared as God. So the gopis were desperate looking for Krishna and on their, in their quest, on their path, suddenly they see God in front of them. So what you will do when you see God? And generally, if you see God, you will go back and say, Oh my God, God. But the gopis had only one question in mind there to present to God. And their only question is, Oh God, Narayan, Namo Narayan, Narayan, you are omniscient, you know everything. Can you tell us where Krishna is? That's the only thing they asked. They had to ask God. Nothing else. <laughs> where is Krishna? So Krishna was totally like, like speechless. Like, I mean, how, how they react in such a way to God? These people is really special, really. <laughs> so Krishna didn't say anything because he was like fabric-glassed. So, though the gopis looked among themselves say, I mean, God is not replying. He may be doing some Mauna Brat or something, who knows, but we are asking, he's not replying. Let's keep looking for Krishna. So they continue running and left God behind, standing, like, what's going on? <laughs> but it is say that after that, after some of the gopis came and asked that to, to Krishna, Sri Radha came, who is the ultimate personification of Romantic love for Krishna. So it is say that when Sri Radha came in front of Narayan and Krishna tried to remain as such, he could, he was not able to do so. He started like to tremble in ecstasy. By the force of her love, the point is, her form was transformed. He could no longer sustain his forearms. Two of his forearms entered, <laughs> and the other two remained remaining arms. And, and he became Tribanga Lalita, no? curved in tree, and adopted the form that corresponds with her love. So that's an important theological point that the Gita Govinda is making at, at this section. Like Krishna's form, again, corresponds with the love of the devotees. When he was in front of Radha's love, he adopted that particular form that corresponds with her love. So... So going back for a minute to <clears throat> to the verse of the Bhagavatam, Krishna is saying, a Brahma is saying there, So, oh Bhagavan, it's means your devotees thread the path in which they see through their ears. Hmm. So what does this mean? It means, 
that by hearing from in parampara, from shastra, from revelation about you, they develop a particular vision, a particular prospect, a particular desire of worshiping you in a particular way. But that will be according to, again, there are certain parameters for that. Because one can say, in this verse is saying, whatever form you meditate in Krishna, he will appear in that form to you. So that does this mean that, I don't know, I can just imagine whatever I like. No? Krishna is whatever, riding in a, in a Harley Davidson and play electric guitar and, and he has to appear in that form because that's how I like to think of him. No. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. Bhakti is not promoting just fantasy and fiction. And that's explain, explained by these words in this verse. Sruta ikshita pata, which means according to Sruti, Sruti means hearing and also Sruti means Sruti, the revela- that which is here, the revelation, the scriptures. So in the scriptures, there are certain possibilities that are presented about how to approach God. Certain forms, certain moods on how to approach Bhagavan. So according to those options that are revealed in Shastra, Ikshita, one can see, one can develop a particular darshan, a particular vision of a form of a divinity. So this verse is putting in context this idea. Krishna, yeah, Krishna will reciprocate According to the love, Krishna's identity, as we say here, is shaped by the love of the devotees. But love, to, for be, to be developed, has to grow in the context of revelation or siddhanta. It's not that we just love Krishna in a whimsical way, however I, I like to imagine that. There are certain windows of opportunity in which we can approach, we can worship Bhagavan. So Shastra is giving that context that parameter. So according to those possibilities, Madhurya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Dasya, Santa, and so on, there are different schools of thought, Sampradayas, we will uh, present these opportunities. We can meditate in Bhagavan according to the samskaras we have received from particular Sadhu Sangha. We'll meditate in Bhagavan, Jat Jat Dhyā Tarugaya Vibhava Yanti, we will meditate in him and tattabapu pranayase sadanugrahaya. And he will show his anugrahaya, his mercy, by revealing bapu, a particular form according, corresponding with our meditation. So try to understand this important point, which is God is love is totally reciprocal. Bhakti is totally reciprocal. When Krishna says, Yatamam Tamsrapadante Tamstatai Bhajamyaham. This is not just a general statement. When he says, according to how you approach me, I approach you. What does it mean in every single sense of the term? So many implications are there. It's not just a generic thing. Oh, you approach me with love, I reciprocate with love. Yes, but love again is specific. Love is not just love. I mean, you don't love your mother in the same way you love your son and the same way you love your husband. I mean, there's a specificity in love. (laughs) So the same thing has to happen with God. Our relationship with God has to be very specific. So specific that unless you have that specificity, you won't go there because still you don't know where to go. (laughs) 
Because you may say, I would like to go to Golok Vrindavan, but still that's a generic idea. In which camp, in which area of service. Sometimes I give the example. If someone asks us, what's the goal of life? Well, what will you say as a Gaudiya Vaishnava? What's the goal of life? Krishna Prem. So that's the official answer, right? <laughs> Krishna Prem is love for Krishna, love for God. But I will tell you, I mean, it's okay, bravo, but, <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's a lot, because for many people the goal of life is something else, <laughs> or something less. But still, on another level, that's not enough. I mean, you won't, you, you won't enter into a particular eternal relationship with Krishna by, by replying that way. Because the next question immediately will be, what? Uh, which type of prem? Or sometimes one, can, one, one could have replied even more abstractly, love for God. So the next question is, which type of love, but for which type of God? <laughs> no, Narayan, Ramachandra, Krishna, Mahaprabhu. Someone may say, okay, Krishna, Krishna Prem. Okay, we are getting somewhere. Krishna. Which type of Prem for Krishna? Which type of, which Krishna? Braja Krishna, Maturesh Krishna, Dwarakesh Krishna. There are so many Krishnas. <laughs> I mean, he's the same one, but so many different emotional dispositions. So which Krishna? So I say, okay, Braja Krishna. Okay, we are getting somewhere. To Braj, we are getting somewhere. <laughs> Braj Krishna. But which type of prem from Braj Krishna? Dasa Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurya. So someone may say, Madhurya. Of course, it's not something that you pick, like if you are in a supermarket. No, I take Madhurya. It will come <laughs> by particular influence in Sadhu Sangha. But eventually, let's say one feels that inclination. Okay, Madhurya prem for Braj Krishna. Okay, next question. <laughs> Which type of Madhurya Prem? From, no? Parakya or Swakya, for example. Hmm? You know the, the varieties. No? Legal or illegal, if you will, in terms of the dynamics of the Lila. Lover relationship or married relationship? Parakya. Parakya. Okay, Parakya. Which type of Parakya? When you look for a direct relationship with Krishna or when you serve some gopi who has a direct relationship with Krishna like Shirada, when you say, that will be Manjari Bhav, Radha Dasim, you say, I go for that one. Manjari Bhav, Radha Okay, so under the guidance of which group leader as a Manjari you want to serve Radha and Krishna? Under the guidance of which Manjari? So my point with all this, I don't want to torture you with all these technicalities but my point is from the notion of love of God to the hyper specific notion that I have just gave you there are some differences and some some path to thread and we need to get to that final distilled specific point so we can really say okay this is what I want and again there's no rush we can't we shouldn't force ourselves I have to be there next weekend but we should understand, unless and until I reach that specific point, I cannot expect Krishna to reciprocate 
in that level of detail accordingly because I myself <laughs> I'm still figuring it out in which direction that may be and, and it's okay it's not again it's not a, 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 to be running and rich as soon as possible but the point is we need to understand when Krishna <laughs> says I reciprocate according to your approach to me if your approach is abstract I reciprocate accordingly and if your approach is more specific I become more specific and if your approach is ultra specific I will reveal myself to you in a very unique specific form according to that very unique specific type of love and, and, and our tradition our path Raganuga Bhakti I will call it sometimes the path of specificity <laughs> it's not the path of generic approach or generic love not like love I love you give me whatever I need or whatever I <laughs> love God this or that but a very unique approach so already we have an experience in this world of unique approaches and unique types of love as a child grandmother grandfather lover or maybe not lover <laughs> wife <laughs> sometimes lover <laughs> whatever the case so how much all this applies to God how much specificity can we develop and find in a relationship with love of God so that's an idea for us to to entertain and to understand the path of bhakti or the path of devotional love is about really discovering the other person and being discovered by the other person which of course in this case the other person is none other than Bhagavan himself so how much we can discover the personality of Godhead through love. There's no end to that. And vice versa. Allowing ourselves to be discovered by, by Bhagavan and his love for us. And, 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 get to, and, 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 re, and get to be all that we can be. That's an important point. We are something now, but we have a potential that is accompanying us. And that potential will only appear in a particular environment. And, and we will upgrade our condition in the best possible way. Like if you have, like, I don't know, a musician, for example, in an orchestra. Let's go for, to the West for a minute. I mean, and you have an orchestra, classical music, and you have, like, the orchestra, how do you call it, the director? Conductor. Conductor, okay. So let's say that the conductor is... And the, the, the capacity, the expertise of the conductor is on the same level of the orchestra. So the two of them will <coughs> work with each other and will basically know what to do. But if the capacity of the orchestra is way higher than the capacity of the conductor, the conductor may find himself doing things in the course of being the conductor that I, generally he's not accustomed to do. He's doing much better there because the environment is so empowering, if you will, so capable that the conductor becomes conducted <laughs> by the environment and, and makes him like upgrade himself to a level that he couldn't by himself reach there. But the environment is carrying him to that situation. You follow? So... Try to imagine ourselves, we are something, we are someone, 
But if we situate ourselves under a particular environment, this called bhakti, spiritual environment, it is said that we can become all that we can be. All our highest potential can be reached. All our our own self sense of self will become expanded to the utmost degree. That was we call in Sanskrit Mahatma. Mahatma means what? Great soul. It doesn't mean that he has a soul that is bigger in size or something. <laughs> but Krishna only uses the term Mahatma in the Gita only for referring to his devotees. So Mahatma means a soul who has and what he that he say regarding Mahatma to further qualify the idea. Mahatma Nastumampartam Daibim Prakriti Masritaha. He says the Mahatmas, oh son of Prita, are those who have taken shelter under the divine energy, divine potency, or Swarup Shakti, Bhakti. They remain under the shelter of Bhakti and therefore they can be Mahatmas. Their their sense of being will become expanded. Instead of duratma, duratma means contracted sense of being. So, by connecting bhakti, by connecting with love, our fullest potential as, as atmas will reach its full upgrading, if you will. And similarly, again, Krishna on his own side, he will appear accordingly, reciprocating accordingly. Krishna only appears as a baby. Because there is on the other side someone named Yashoda with a strong desire to love him as a baby. And therefore he reciprocates accordingly. And Krishna only appears as a, as a boy tending cows and, and playing different games. Because on the other side you have a devotee like Sridam, Subal, Madhumangal who are vibrating with a particular type of friendly love that needs to correspond with a particular object of love. You have love and you have the object of love. The two of them are one and different. Asraya lambana, bishaya lambana. So that's how these dynamics of work are, are, are of love are working, basically. No? So. so some ideas we wanted to share today regarding how powerful love can be to the point that it's carving in a poetic way, if you will, the form of chiseling, chiseling, you say? <laughs> the form of Bhagavan and makes him appear in one disposition, in another disposition, according to what's in the heart of each devotees. We were the other day speaking with the example of Hanumanji. He opens his chest, and who is there? There's no Paramatma there. <laughs> Hanuman does not have Paramatma. He has what? Sitaram. And that's his heart. As we, as we said the other day, if Sitaram were to tear apart their chest, who will appear there? Hanuman. <laughs> because that's the, the correspondence between object and love and, and love. As, as one Sila Bhaktino Thakur said, he said, the devotee is the personification of love for Krishna, and Krishna is the personification of love for the devotee. That's who Krishna is. If you take out Krishna's love for his devotee, he's no longer Krishna. He's no longer Krishna, as I say before. He becomes, he becomes Brahman, undeterminate, absolute. But the absolute determinate, adorned with so many qualities, that's because of certain type of love he has. So he's inseparable from that. No? I mean, 
Krishna's lover is inseparable from the love of brother. Krishna's friend is inseparable from the love of his friends. Krishna's baby is inseparable from Nanda and Jashoda. You cannot have one without the other. So, in that way, Krishna's form, Krishna's form, in the transcendental form, is corresponding, is shaped, basically, by the particular love of a devotee, which speaks about the power of love, the power of, the power of bhakti which affects the constitution of Bhagavan in spiritual terms. So, if he himself... I need to say that that's the favorite quality of Krishna in himself. If you are to ask Krishna, what's the favorite quality in, about you in yourself? Is how much the love of my devotees transform me. He's, I'm so happy. I'm so proud of being affected by them to that degree or something like that. So, if God himself chooses... And will, will, willfully, willfully uh, gives himself to that transformation. How much we ourselves should be willing to allow love to transform us. When bhakti knocks on our door, when devotion comes to us, how much we should be willing to let love make us all that we can be. Because the version of ourself that do not, does not include love, that's not a very upgraded version, maximized version. It's not the, the latest app we can download of ourselves, if you will, to speak in more contemporary terms. <laughs> Our latest version is still to be downloaded, if you will. <laughs> and it's downloaded. It comes from up to down. So it has to be it has to descend by grace. Our Oha Panta, descending process. So, some words regarding the effect, the power of bhakti, the power of love mm, in the life of Bhagavan mm, and, and how that particular type of love makes him to take so many different forms. Mm. So just before finishing, one last example that for us it's so important and somehow it's, it's that example that makes us being, be here today together mm, and it's Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mm. Who is Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Well, he's Krishna for sure, <laughs> Sri Krishna, Chaitanya. But his Krishna in a particular emotional, again, disposition, in a particular inner moment, when he is trying to taste a particular type of love, which is Sri Radha's love. So, as Krishna in Vrindavan, he's, he's witnessing, he has the witness the degree of Radha's love for him hmm? and he's seeing how that love affects her in such a way and therefore affects him by consequence that he becomes like curious if you will or not only curious but to the point of obsession I will say <laughs> to taste what her love is about hmm? so again her love impacts him in such a way that makes him take not only another form, but create a whole another lila, if you will, in order to facilitate that experience that we call Gaur Lila. Because Krishna in Vrindavan, he witnesses the degree of Radha's love and says, that's unique, I don't know what's that about, what she's experiencing, the happiness she's going through, the beauty she perceives in me, what's that about? I mean... I imagine there is something special in me because I see how she reacts to that. No? <laughs> she, 
she's acting in such a way, but all that she's exhibiting is in relation to me. So I must be special, Krishna thinks. <laughs> because she reacts like, but what she's experiencing in relation to me, I don't know, I can tell. I need to enter into her shoes. So again, her love is impacting on him in such a way that it's giving shape to Krishna in a particular presentation called Sriman Mahaprabhu. And, and, and a particular form of love, again, makes Bhagavan take a particular form, a, a particular love, a particular type of love of God, makes Bhagavan take a particular form. And, of course, that's not only that, but a particular stage needs to be established that we call Lila. For that we need the whole stage for the drama to be enacted. In this case, Gaur Lila, particular stage is Navadvip, and all the characters come into a scene, and the purpose of the whole Lila is there to, to be fulfilled. So we see how in the life of Bhagavan himself, he's constantly into, in this quest of um, tasting new depths of love, and new Lilas are coming as a result of that, and we are part of that Gaur Lila, so we are totally blessed and fortunate with being here, somehow being invited to hmm? to participate hmm? and serve into this glorious quest. So, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki. So some ideas I want to share with you today. Also, we want to give some some time for questions in case anyone has some question or something you might like to to comment or to share or to ask about regarding what you, we were sharing today, or maybe not necessarily regarding to the topic, but if you have something related to the topic, we may begin with that, and if not, we can go with other topics, of course. <clears throat> Gokul Chandra, yes? How can we uh, become more specific in our spiritual life? Is that by our our endeavor, our previous uh, inclinations, is it Krishna's mercy, Krishna is revealing himself more and more, the more we become sincere. Mm -hmm. So I'll repeat the question for those online here that were not able to fully grasp or hear the question. So Gokul Chandra is asking how do we get more specific and he gave 108 options about that, <laughs> by Krishna's grace, or by becoming more sincere, all of them quite valid for sure, or by impressions of bodies, by that, and so on. So, yeah, of course, as I mentioned before, it's not something that we can force in one side, like, okay, I don't... Till today, I can only reply, the goal of life is love for God. How can tomorrow know all the ultimate specificity of... It's not that it's like, it works like that. There is a, a process. And as we have been speaking many times, the, the details of that reply and the details of those details and so on will come in time, depending on the association we are having. We will receive... Rupa Goswami mentions it. Even he says... If you want to taste Bhakti Rasa, which is the ultimate devotional experience, that may take first to have receiving, received sorry, Bhakti Samskar from previous lifetimes. Interestingly, he makes this important point, which means if you want to taste 
the highest goal of bhakti, which is rasa, bhakti rasa, first you need to have received devotional impressions from previous lifetimes. In other words, he's saying, this is not a project of one lifetime even. It may take more than one lifetime, which, which shouldn't be a problem, as we spoke these days. Sometimes the Buddhists may hear more than one lifetime. Well, how many lifetimes? And some sadhus have said, well, two, three. If you are serious, two, three. And for, for us, maybe it's too much. And the sadhus will say, it's not too much. I mean, two, three lifetimes for reaching such a goal after unlimited births and deaths, doing nonsense, if you will. <laughs> it's nothing. It's embarrassing to pay so little, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so... So the point is, but the point that Rupa Goswami is making is beyond this idea of some lifetime. You will need to have received some bhakti, some scars, which means according to the association you will be in, you will be receiving some particular influence, some particular affinity will be, if you will, implanted in you hmm, uh, towards one type of relationship or another towards Bhagavan. Sometimes the, the expression I... I heard sometimes it's like the sadhus are like pollinating our hearts. No? Like, like the bumblebee taking like the, the pollen from one place to another and creating that, activating the principle in one flower and then going to another. So the similar way, the sadhus are the bearers, how is it? bearers of, <coughs> of bhakti dev in the world. And by them is that bhakti is given here and there, Krishna. Krishna Das Kaviras makes this point. Krishna Bhakti Jan Mamol Hoi Sadhu Sangha. Sadhu Sangha is the root of the, for the, of the birth for Krishna Bhakti. So depending which is our association, a particular type of... I'm saying this in which sense. In the beginning we may have no clue which is our ultimate affinity. But if you are having a particular association and that association has a particular affinity, most probably that will be eventually your particular affinity because you will be, that will be contagious, if you will, to you, in time. You, you may not know not, not that yet, but that will happen in time. So what should I do in, in that period of time till that really becomes apparent? Yeah, it means basically to remain seriously engage in, in practice and service under the shelter of those particular sadhus who personify the particular type of bhakti. And by by trying to go deep into one's sadhana, into one's bhajan, chanting and service and other angas of bhakti under proper guidance, naturally the end result will be not only that the heart will be purified, chetadharpanamarjanam, bhava mahadabhagni rabhapanam, but shreya kaidava chandrika vitaranam, and so on. Mahaprabhu says, the first first result will be the clean, the, the mirror of your mind will be cleansed. Your heart will be cleansed. Your subconscious will be cleansed. Your chitta will be purified. Eventually you will be so purified that you will even transcend samsara. And on top of that, Sri Akairava Chandrika Vidharana. A particular ray from the moon of this sort of shakti will enter your heart and will start to illuminate your heart in a particular way, making you aware of some specific affinity. You will, at one point of your practice, you will start to feel, I have some attraction towards 
whatever, hearing about Krishna with the gopis. I mean, it's not that you reject all the other sections also. You have to, because if you say that, I love Krishna with the gopis, but I hate all the other pastimes, it means you have no attraction for Krishna with the gopis, actually. No, you're being fanatic or you have some dysfunctional issue there to solve. <laughs> no. Because if you have a real attraction in one direction, it means you have real attraction for all other directions on some other le- on some other way, although there's some specific call in one direction, but you appreciate and nourish from every other direction. Even by hearing any other avatars speaking about, as we say, gave the example the other day of Gopakumar meeting with uh, with Hanuman in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. And Hanuman starts to glorify Sri Ramachandra. It's not that Gopakumar is saying you are disturbing my bhajan by speaking about your istadev. You are not speaking about Krishna and Vrindavan. Oh, this is so unbecoming. He's not saying that. Gopakumar is hearing the, the kirtan of Ramachandra and he's finding, oh, that is nourishing my faith in my own istadev, in Madan Gopal in Braj, in Priyanarma Sakya. I'm nourished as a friend of Krishna by hearing someone glorifying Ramachandra. There's place for that. It shouldn't disturb our faith, actually. (laughs) But you have to be really properly situated in your faith before trying to get nourished, before trying to be nourished by others' different faith. Because if not, that may create some complication. So that's the point. Now, eventually, if you are in proper association, practicing, cleaning your heart, that cleaning your heart in combination with further and further devotional impressions entering your heart gradually will take you to a particular type of affinity that eventually one may share with one's guru or guides, like I'm finding this type of attraction and that attraction may be put to test, if you will, to see how substantial it is and if it passes the test as as our Guru Maharaj was sharing the other day, when he met Srila Bhaktivedanta Narayan Maharaj, and they were speaking about some particular type of affinity, and Srila Narayan Maharaj tested in a, in a nice way how much my Guru Maharaj was, knew what he was talking about, and he, he realized he knew, he then like blessed that, that, that affinity, if you will, no? like, so at, that, at some point that will happen. We may find some affinity in one direction and may, maybe Sri Guru will uh, uh, rec- like uh, recommend, okay, now you ground yourself more in that direction. Try to study more about that and, and, and drench yourself more, know more the tattoo of that. And, and here part- and certain sections of scripture will be especially like attractive to you so you can concentrate in that or in certain books. And all this, and, and your practice will be, become more focused, your ideal will become more specific, and you will start to, at one point to pray from what's called Sampratanaya Mai Pratana to Lalasa Mai Pratana, which means from a prayer of surrender to a prayer of longing. That's as, as we get closer to the stage of Baba. There are different stages, we cannot imitate that. But in the beginning, as a sadaka, we are to concentrate of, on surrender. Saranagati, give myself and all the the things we know. But at one point, the prayers will shift more into the direction of longing. As Narottam Das will sing, Gauranga bolite have pulaka sadir, Hari Hari bolite nai hani bhavene, 
that song is called Lalasa Mai Prarthana. Oh, when, when, when chanting Gauranga, tears will come to my eyes and I will feel this, when all the... And really, you mean that when you say that in that stage. No? You feel that attraction, in that call in one particular day. But again, you cannot imitate that. So we have to be sincere about where we are, but also we have to be sincere about where we want to be. And if we don't have a clue about where do we want to be, in the sense of having a specific prospect, at least we should be honest about what we need to do in order to know where we want to be eventually, you know, and take embrace the practice seriously and in such a way that that will take us there gradually, gradually. And when that happens, okay, something else will be will have to be done in consul, in consultation with one's guides and so on. So be patient, and it may take some lifetimes again. No rush, but at the same time, don't be complacent and lazy. Now, of course, it's all in the proper between process is gradual but not that gradual <laughs> it's as gradual as you want to make it gradual as well so okay so maybe one more question before finishing if there is any other question or maybe one to whatever if there are any. yeah Madhukari some, uh, some people argue that these numerous and varied forms of God that we find all over the world that they they are in fact these, you know, fantasies or fictitious ideas, concoctions of our mind, and that, or maybe we're projecting some kind of egotistical desire to be something greater than, than us. So some, you know, they, they go to great lengths to explain that, you know, this is, I guess, some atheist uh, arguments against um, against God. So uh, yeah, I was just wondering how how you would respond to such criticism, uh, this kind of skeptical looking. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I, I'm not so much... I understand the point, and, and and on one point also I agree that... How to say? That there's a possibility of, of, of one becoming... In the name of God, or, or this or that, one can really just give a dysfunctional representation of that that will fit the arguments of an atheist saying, yeah, yeah, you are totally weird guys saying all this stuff over there and you're not representing that properly and so on. But of course we all, at the same time, we have this undeniable, and of course it's a very subjective thing. I'm not trying here to convert unconvinced atheists and you have to do this and you will, but there's a process also. I mean, for me to say I'm an atheist basically means, uh, the implications of, of, of considering myself an atheist will be I'm not willing to take the process that will take me to a particular experience which will prove that there's not such a thing as atheism in the sense of... Because atheism is God does not exist. But, I mean, how can you prove that God does not exist? Maybe you can say, till now I, can, I couldn't prove that He exists. But how can disprove God's existence, basically. How can you prove he does not exist? At least you can say, I'm agnostic. I don't know. I mean, I'm till now, no idea, no clue, but who knows? <laughs> it's a mystery. But for me, the, the main point is, uh, of course, I mean, I agree that one should be very careful and in the name of being attracted towards God or being attracted to a certain form of God, one could really imagine things and project 
one's own, I don't know, emotional uh, unresolved issues and, 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 and expect certain things and God should be like this and God should fulfill. So that's a whole process of introspection and, and purification that every practitioner should be willing to go through in order to really reach a polished, distilled idea for having a proper experience of that because if not, it's just my own projection on God. I mean, that's classical for most people and that's why sometimes religion has earned not the very best of names in the world because so many people is just projecting issues on God and expecting certain things that has nothing to do with what God is like. <laughs> but they speak of God in those terms that this is God for me. So, <clears throat> how to say... Um, that on one side. So it's important. I remember once I spoke with a devotee, a very advanced devotee, and someone asked him about what's your affinity for Krishna or something like that. No? And he was really reticent about like speaking cheaply about that because it's not a cheap thing. So he was saying, I'm more in the process of like like confirming that whatever I think is my affinity is not my own, my mental speculation only. No? So he, he said that very like gra with gravity and seriousness. So of course when someone replies like this, personally I will feel, I mean, he's being serious about that. He's not joking. I mean, he's having, I know, and I know the devotees, I know he has an experience, but also he, he has a very profound sense of authenticity and integrity so he does want to take things for granted and say oh I felt this and for sure I have this affinity he will put himself to test as much as he can not to the point of paranoia or anything but strict with oneself as Prabhupada will say and merciful with that <laughs> so he will really okay if I, have, I feel this let's see how much I feel this you know? I remember recently I, I was hearing one interview with uh, his public intellectual clinical psychologist, Jordan Peterson, maybe you have heard about him. He's a Christian, and, and generally, he never says that he believes in God, but he says, I act as if God exists. So someone asked him, why you, why you always reply like this? And you never say, I believe in God. Because on, on the other side, you are a Christian. You yourself consider yourself a Christian. So you should believe in God. But you always say, I act as if God exists. <laughs> so in brief, his reply was, because I'm, I'm, I'm not so, he say, which was, I, I cannot recall exact, exact words, but basically his idea was, to, to believe in God implies so many things that if you play all those so many things out in practice, how you should behave, how you should conduct in your life, ideally, if you believed in God in every sense of the term, then I, I don't know, I'm not sure if I believe in God. In that sense, you follow? I mean, like, in play, it's not cheap to say that. I mean, you can say that, but <laughs> everyone can say so many things. But the point is, how much you are... Uh, <clears throat> playing out your belief, acting out, you will say, how much you act out your belief. So his point is, 
I want to be as strict as possible with that notion, to say, I believed in God. That's the most, he will say, sacred thing and, 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 and deep expression. So I don't want to take such a, such a fr- phrase quickly and repeat, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in God. Let's see if you believe in God, and which are all the implications. Of, so my point is, a real mystic or a real serious practitioner won't be speaking about these things cheaply. And if you get closer to those serious practitioners, to those serious mystics, and, and, and just remain in the proximity of those personalities, you will have yourself a mystical experience, if you are willing, open to that, which is basically our proof for believing in God. In one sense, it's, it's easy to do away with the idea of the existence of God, relatively easy, you can say, well, I don't know if God exists, I'm not seeing him, God does not exist, or something like that. But if you meet someone who loves God, really, it's more difficult to do away with that, because it's it's in your face, as they say. No? <laughs> and, and, and the person lives her his life in such a way, with such authenticity and depth and integrity and values, and it's not showing that only two hours per day, but every single day, every single day, that, I mean, it starts to shake your belief system, if you will. If you say, I don't believe in God, but you feel this person says he, she believes in God and is leading such an extraordinary life. So, if this, and this is so real, for me so moving, then naturally, I mean, if that's so real and so moving, and he's doing all that for God, that that God must exist also. I mean, if God does not exist, and such a real thing is coming from the life of someone who believes in God, then God must exist also. So that will be like a kind of, <laughs> of way. Because again, you cannot prove God's existence in th- scientific terms or rational uh, method, because God is transrational. So that's the whole thing. There's a different category of reality. So you cannot just try to to establish God's existence on, on on the method that an atheist may propose, no, because that won't work. There are different categories of, of, of existence. So I would say get closer to 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 a lover of God, get closer to a mystic, and uh, that will be that will be in itself an experience. If you are close to a lover of God, let's say someone who has love for God, a prem bhakta. By getting closer to a prem bhakta. You may not get you may not get prem immediately. You may not get the experience of that person, but you will have an experience of being closer to the experience of that person, which is in itself quite powerful. You follow? Someone may be here and you are here, but if you get closer to that person, you know you won't be promoted here immediately, but from here you may get here, whatever or something you will have an experience of their experience, which will move you to the point of wanting to get closer to where they really are. And again, the rest is a a gradual process. So I will say that, of course, if you like to disbelieve, distrust about love, about God, but follow the life of the mystics and the saints and how they deal their life on a daily basis, that's extraordinary, how they control their senses. I mean, that's something that you can prove very, in a concrete way. That's what the Bhagavatam say when it defines 
the, the standard of a guru. It says, um, at the end, Brahmani Upasramasrayam. And the guru is, which his senses are fully, her senses are fully under control. So that that's something you can't prove scientifically, if you will. You can put a saintly person under examination and follow and see how that person is controlling the senses, where none of these scientifics, with all respect, scientists that are claiming all the things, probably are not, they are not able to do that. So the saints are pretty objective. The scientists will claim, we want objectivity here. But if your senses are not under control, how much, of, how much objective are you actually? You may be the topmost science in the world, but if you receive a call and say, your cat is dying, <laughs> maybe the sciences will be carried by an emotional wave of subjectivity in that direction. <laughs> While a saintly person will be totally objective and not being carried away by these emotional waves of this world. So that's much more objectivity in, in a saint, in a mystic, than in most scientists. So, anyhow, some ideas. I don't think we will get to make everyone stop being an atheist, but (laughs) again, we have our own method of of, of proving certain things, and there's a way of proving that, but we should be willing to also accept the the epistemology of that, how we know what we know in that particular connection. Regarding transrational topics, there is a particular methodology for that. It's not just something limited to a reductionist method. Okay, so it's nine. We're almost in time. So I don't know if there is any other question, urgent question that may not allow you to sleep at night today. (laughs) If that's not the case, we may close here. And tomorrow we have one more meeting where you are, of course, all more than invited. And we'll be speaking about another topic, about the glories of Sri Harikatamrita or the glories of the divine discourse as the ones we are trying to have here. And of course, we will also have place for questions and answers. So with your permission, we will close the session today here and we'll share some brief uh, Hari Kirtan before closing and sharing Hari Bhagavad Prasad. So thank you so much to all of you for your time and presence and attention. Sri La Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Pramananda Haribo.